Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, transactions galore has been the last <laughs> week here. I ran a number. We are over 250 transactions processed since last Monday. Uh, that includes all the exhibits, 9 and 10, signs and waivers, extensions for veterans and rookies. Uh, have you caught up on sleep yet? Yeah, I think I'm mostly caught up. I, I, I like that, you know, that's a massive number for us. And our, our buddy Mike over on the football side is like, that's like four teams worth, you babies. Like, move on. Um, you know, it's just kind of funny, just, you know, the way it works. But, I mean, th- this – process with the g league and and we i'll plug it one more time uh i wrote an explainer of what happens with these exhibit nine and exhibit 10 contracts and why you know the vast majority of these you know well over 200 of them were these kind of signings and wavings and sometimes they sign and wave in the same day um why teams do that it's mostly about lining guys up to get them to the g league teams uh, as the g league has become more of a prominent thing uh for the nba and more of a real uh minor league system for them we've seen a massive increase over i, I would say what, what would you say the last about four years there's been a steady climb in these transactions where teams are doing this, but you know, then on top of that, we had, you know, extensions coming out of our ears last minute where that's not always the thing, you know, we're going to get a couple most years, but this year we, we had a flood of them all, you know, right before the extension deadline. So it made for a very busy, but also a very fun uh, uh, transaction period that is generally a little bit more quiet. Yeah. And it's only going to get ramped up as the extension, Expansion talk happens, adding two more teams. That's you know more jobs. You know whether sign waivers that are going to take guys into their G leagues, or you know the maturation of the G league with you know uh, you know if it becomes a true minor league system, if it ever gets to that point where you can just pull like the NHL, you pull up and pull down. You know um, the other thing that did catch me off uh, was the amount of extensions. Like you said, the 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 rookie extensions. I've ran the number in the past and it's been around seven or eight rookie extensions. We're at 14 this year. And yeah. You and I have talked, we, it might've been last week or a couple weeks before, but we've said the extension is the way to go right now in this league because of no cap space. And they want to have retaining of the, you know, the, the asset, the control. And if they have them under, uh, as a win-win where the player is getting a decent set of money, but the team has a decent amount of money for matching and salary purposes. You know, this is the way of the, uh, of moving forward in the NBA because cap space and free agency is, is a myth almost at this point. Yeah. And it really is. And the other thing is, I think what you're seeing is it's become that pressure on both sides. Uh, of the, this, uh, you know, I guess roster building is the best way for me to put that. Where what you have now is you have the teams that could have cap space are maybe more looking at it as let's lock in a, a in a short thing that we know. For example, the Orlando Magic, they're probably going to have a good chunk of cap space this coming summer. 
but they locked into Cole Anthony with the idea, I think, being, hey, we'll give up some of our cap space, but we we like Cole Anthony. We know what he is. We know what he can be for us, so we're going to kind of go in that direction. Then on the opposite side, you have teams like Denver and Boston who are uh, up there and over the second apron, and what's going on with those teams is, well, Zeke Naji, Peyton Pritchard, these guys may not be, you know, ever in the conversation to be starters, never mind, like all-star level guys, but they're good, productive rotation players, or we believe they can be. And if we let them walk out the door, we can't replace them because all all those second apron teams have is minimum signings and their own draft picks. So I think you're going to see more of that. And I'll add one other qualifier for those teams too. It becomes increasingly hard for them to make trades because the trade rules are going to be so restrictive starting. It's I'm going to keep saying starting next season, but it really is starting after the trade deadline uh, this year because the, these these uh, uh, new trade restrictions will most of them will kick in uh, by the time we get into the draft, which becomes the next big trade window after the trade deadline. But they're going to be so restrictive that having you know. Zeke Naji or Peyton Pritchard for seven, eight million. That's actually a bonus because that gives you something you can do trade wise. And even if you're not over the second apron, even if you're, you know, bumping up against the tax or whatever, you just want to have some tradable salary on the books. And those those kind of numbers for those guys, even if some people look at them like, that's kind of a slight overpay, a slight overpay still remains very tradable. And that's where I think, um, you know, these teams are really, you know, doing some different things with their roster building now. Yeah, so let's dive into some of these logistics with some of these extensions. Uh, you know, we had – like we said, we had 14 rookie extensions, three veteran extensions. We're going to go veteran extensions first. The one that kind of caught me off guard and I had to drop everything and run and input <laughs> was the Giannis extension. Didn't expect that to happen. Um, well, that's years. fair, Scott, because he told us he wasn't going to do it. <laughs> right. he, he he himself said it doesn't make financial sense. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, so it, it, it's interesting that something must have changed in the camp or it, within, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it, trading for Damian Lillard's what changed. <laughs> it, 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 it definitely did, but I wonder what else in the background sure. know, had been said to really get him over the edge because, you know, he didn't necessarily have to sign it right now. Mm-mm. He could have waited. And so, yes, the Lillard probably helped, but, you know, I, me, I thought he was going to wait and see how this was going to one year of this was going to happen and then decide whether he wants to extend or not. But that's bes- besides the point now, because he did extend three year extension, maximum salary. Uh, we have it in as one hundred and seventy seven million right now based off of the potential uh, what the NBA has put out for their cap projections. The reports that are out there are 189 million because they're just assuming next, you know, it's going to be 10% moving forward. Uh, but we default to what the NBA has currently said. He declined his player option to sign this three-year extension and then added another player option at the back end at 27-28. What do, what do we think of this, Keith? Yeah, so a couple, couple things. One, I want to just touch on just to to really re-emphasize because I have had some people reach out and say, Hey, I think you guys number is low on Giannis. We are using the NBA's official projection for next year, which is roughly four and a half percent cap growth. And 
the reporting that comes out with these, it's always going to be in the most favorable terms for the player and the agent. Uh, we see this often with the bonuses, right? If a guy, uh, we're going to get to one of those in a minute um, here, but the, the guys who have bonus money in their contracts, it's always going to be whatever the max could possibly be. Even if then later when we get into it, we find out there's no way that guy's going to meet those bonuses. Like it's not going to happen. But in the case of Giannis, um, that's why we are a little bit lower because we're going to use the official number. And we know, Hey, if it goes up more, well, guess what? We'll adjust. We you know, there's no, no skin off our back with that. We're, we're ready to go. So I think in this case, one, it, this is perfectly fine. This you're maxing out a guy who is, you know, arguably, you know, when needed, the best player in basketball. Uh, he he's, doesn't turn 29 uh, until a little bit uh, into this season, about two months from now, uh, just ahead of Christmas. He'll turn 29. So you're talking about, you know, you just locked in his age. Um, 31, 32, and possibly 33 seasons. Now, the other piece with the whole, he did it now, so then he can opt out again in 2027 and won't bump up against the over 38 rule. I I think we're starting to play a little bit of three-dimensional chess here where it's like, eh, I'm not sure I really go all the way there. I think what happened with this extension was he did this before. He told the Bucks a few years ago, yeah, I'm not so sure that I want to, you know, necessarily sign an extension. The Bucks went out, got Drew Holiday, and Giannis said, "Okay, let's get the extension done." Now, just basically running it back, and Damian Lillard's contract will run out a year ahead of this one. Um, he's, he has a player option that I feel pretty confident he's probably going to pick up at 59 million, unless there's some kind of wink wink agreement of like hey decline that we'll bring you back for less money but uh per season but add you know more overall money or something like that but these two are now tied together in in milwaukee and there's no questions about it and i think super fair value for Giannis. and you know the bucks are committed to all right we're going to be really one of these teams that's going to be expensive and top heavy and we're going to have to build out our roster in different ways moving forward but when you're starting with Giannis and Dame as your your duo that's a pretty good starting point that most teams would you know like to be at yeah this is a small market team that's uh all in for sure with that extension bringing in Lillard uh, some of the signings that they've had, you know, they're they're saying we're moving forward with Giannis. And it's great to see, especially for a small yeah. market. You know, we, we're always – the eyes always tend to go towards New York, Los Angeles, the big markets. They're the ones that are going to get the big stars. And the fact that Giannis has found his place, even Denver, Jokic has found his place. You know, it's it's great to see – uh, that these players are okay being in the markets that they are because it shows that the NBA, you can really go to any market and be that person if you're the right uh, superstar. Yeah. Yeah. And let me say this too, just, I think it's worth mentioning. We see this a lot with the um, overseas players who come to the NBA when they land in a place in the States, often they stick around because you know, the United States, I mean, is the size they're bigger than Europe, right? So it's it's almost like every state here or every major like like metropolitan area is can be roughly the size of like a country in, in Europe. And we see guys often come and it's like, well, this is home, right? Like for Giannis, Milwaukee is home 
for him in in the United States. And he's you know lucky to also be able to call Greece home. And you know to, for him though here this is home. So do I really want to leave? Like I want to be here. And I go back to like Dirk Nowitzki stayed with Dallas his entire career. Jokic good chance maybe he's going to stay with Denver. I would say Giannis, this now puts us very much in range of Giannis will be with the Bucks for his entire career. Anything can change and things often do change, but I do think we're in a spot where we, that's going to be something I'm going to probably look at a little bit more. Now, Luka Doncic could change that entire paradigm that I'm talking about, but part of that may also be Luka may be um, in a spot where it might be like, uh, you're bungling the way you're building this roster i'm out of here because of that we'll, we'll see if that's you know, ultimately how that plays out or not another small market that signed an extension Jaden mcdaniels with minnesota five years 131 million dollars guaranteed that can go up to around 136 million dollars based off hey of there the it sentence. is there's that bonus yeah, added into the is. reporting yeah yep. <laughs> you gotta love it it came out as five for 136 right away and then it was oh hold on there's incentives uh but small market team again, is this good value for uh, for Minnesota? I think it's outstanding value uh, for the Wolves. Jaden McDaniels, because it's the Wolves, they they were kind of a, a middling team, and all the attention that they get was focused on can Townsend Gobert work, and holy cow, Anthony Edwards is waging a breakout season. It went, for my money, way under the radar how good Jaden McDaniels was last year. Should have been an all-defense player. He, he was that good. I think he was the best, uh, one of the best defensive forwards in the league, pending you know how you clarified Jaron Jackson Jr., which I guess he, he was the best defensive forward, but McDaniels was right there for my money. And shot over 50% from the field, including 40% from three. So this is a guy who really can do some stuff. I think his offensive game has a lot of room for growth. I don't know that we're going to see it because – Edwards is obviously a ball dominant guy. Towns is going to get his touches. You have to make sure Gobert sees it some. So McDaniels is always probably going to be the fourth or fifth option in most lineups he's in. But I think there could be a little bit more there, especially if this team starts to restructure a little. And that's another piece of the value is if you trade and say, all right, we've decided the way out of this because Minnesota is now wildly expensive uh, going into next year. They've got well over a hundred million locked in for like four or five guys on that roster. So you're, you're in a spot where, you know, you, you've, you're really, you know, in, and you know, I, one of my favorite phrases is in for a penny in for a pound. Well, you're in for a penny and in for a whole lot of pounds here uh, with, with, with this. So I think, what if what may happen is we may see they their plan may be all right, we need to restructure this whole thing a little bit. And now what we're gonna do is we're gonna move out um towns or go bear. And if you do, then you just slide McDaniels to the four, which is probably his actual natural position in the league. Um he's been playing at the three in the last year and will this year. But I think you know now you're talking, it becomes even more value because they think he's an even better value if he's playing the four uh, more minutes. So I thought this was a great signing for them, even if it does introduce a whole lot of variability and questions on where are we going overall um, you know, with this team? Because for a team that's been pretty middling and in a small market, being as expensive as they are, that may not be a, uh, a very regular thing. 
Yeah, we shall see uh, how this Minnesota roster flushes out. I mean, I still I'm starting to continue to hear Towns is he long for that roster or not? It's Anthony Edwards's team at this point, so um, you know we'll see. But that's it's good value for them to lock that up, even if they you know in three years they need to rip the bandaid off and reset. Hopefully that they don't need to, but um, at least it's solid value from the Minnesota side as well. Uh, Going to another small market, Zach Collins extension, two years, just under $35 million. It came out as 35 exact, but in actuality, it's $34.82 million. Uh, small steps for a small market team, but this seems good value again, Keith. Yeah, this one, I, I want to start with saying this is a great story for Zach Collins because this is a guy who had a not great rookie season. Then really his second year in the NBA with the Trailblazers was starting to round into, all right, this guy's going to be, you know, at the very least a rotation big and probably looks like he's going to be a starter. And then went through two injury plagued years where I think he played a total of like 11 games in a two year window. And when the Spurs signed him a couple years ago, I think I want to say that might've been like when we first started sort of working together on some stuff. But I know, I remember we had conversations like, what a weird contract. Why did they give him so much money, even if a lot of it was non-guaranteed um, later in the years and those kind of things? And the Spurs believed in the talent and I guess believed, all right, he's going to overcome the injuries and get healthy. And boy, has he. He's been really good for San Antonio. And now we're moving into a, a you know, new contract. Is it maybe a little bit of an overpay? Yeah, possibly, but it's it's fine. I think they believe he's a good fit with Victor Wembanyama, who they are committed to. He's going to be at least a starting power forward. Probably will close games at the five eventually, but we're going to start him at the four, and we think Collins is a good fit as kind of a protector for him, a good balance guy with the way we're, we want to play with Wembanyama. And, you know, that that makes this a really good solid value contract for San Antonio. And I have no real issue with it. I think the folks who are were kind of the loudest about, wait, like 17 million a year for, uh, you know, Zach Collins. Like, well, what is happening here? They just didn't didn't pay attention to the Spurs, which you can't really blame them because there wasn't a whole lot to pay attention to uh, the last couple of seasons. But it, it really is you know a good story and a guy who gets rewarded for all his hard work and effort. Yeah, and I, I, I'm going to add on. With knowing you have Victor, you have to put the pieces around him that are going to help him succeed. And if you already feel that you have a player that is going to help him succeed and the team succeed moving forward, then you do what you can to lock him up, at least, even if it's just two years. You know, it's not like they're committing to five years. And, you know, if he does have continued injury history, uh, you know, reverts back to that, then you're stuck with five years. It's it's two years. And if you have to trade him in, you know, 25, 26, because it's an expiring contract or, you know, you want to get rid of that, then then so be it. It's just the two years. So I think it's a, a win-win from both sides from that standpoint. Yeah, I completely agree. Sorry, I couldn't get it off mute. Um, yeah, completely agree with, with that. And I think if you're San Antonio, the big, the biggest mistake rebuilding teams make is locking into major money uh, too early, and for guys that that aren't worth it, because then it becomes very hard to work around that later. But I think in this case with the Spurs, 
this is not major money. You know, we're talking barely above what the non-taxpayer mid-level will be in a couple seasons. And that's, that's fine, right? We're, we're in a spot where that's good. And, and again, this is, you know, probably going to be a phrase you're going to hear me say a lot over the run of this podcast, uh, not just this episode, but you know, every episode we do, it's about having tradable contracts. And that's, you know, certainly a very tradable contract. So as they build out their roster over the next couple of years, now you have a little bit more certainty and you know, all right, if we need to, we can always put that one into a deal as we uh, figure out what we're going to be and grow into around Victor Wembanyama and Devin Vassell, who are the obvious long-term signed players. And then we hope you know some of the younger guys continue to pop and earn bigger roles and bigger paydays themselves. But for now, we've, we've got our two main building blocks, then we'll figure out all the rest around them. Yeah, and you mentioned some people having eyeballs at $17 million a year, but if we think of this in percentage of the league cap, you know, it, it may change the way people think of this. So I pulled up Zach Collins' comparisons. Kira Lewis, Rui Hachimura, Kevin Herter, Nicholas Claxton, Karis LeVert, Talon Horton-Tucker. Zach Collins is right in between all of those. So, I mean, yep. when, when you compare – him to who was around him from a similar cap hit cap league percent. I think it's a solid get for San Antonio when you compare that the, him to those players. Yeah. I'll also add that um, bigs still get paid. They're still in the NBA. Even, even if we all talk about how the league is changing and transitioning into more small ball and all those things the league is still a league that tends to pay big men. Uh, There's still, you know, if you will, a big man bonus or tax or whatever it is that, that they're going to get, um, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, more, a little bit more money on each thing. So it kind of, when I think about a lot of bigs, I look at and I kind of come to, this is what I feel is fair. And then I'll plus it up by a million or two, just because you're kind of paying the bonus for being a big man. And that's, you know, is again, we we all know the league shifts into to small ball lineups more and more and more, but big guys are still getting paid every single year. Yeah, it's a long season. You gotta have guys that are gonna grind down down in the paint there. So uh we shall see how San Antonio continues to build that roster. Like I said, from what I'm looking at, it's very small steps, but in the right direction. So I'm interested to see how they continue down that roster construction process. Uh, rookie extensions. Now I need to back up. I, I originally said three veteran extensions over the last week. It was only two. For some reason, I included McDaniels in there, but he was actually a rookie extension. So two veterans, Collins and Giannis. And into the 14 rookie extensions, you did a giant. Scott, I think if you misclarify one of 250-plus <laughs> transactions, it's a pretty good batting average. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Okay, thanks, Keith. Appreciate that. <laughs> Um, you know, like I said, 14 rookie extensions, there's been a, an average of seven to eight each year. So we had an influx in rookie extensions, some based on the article that you had posted, you nailed some, you were really close on some, some didn't get extensions that you thought were going to get extensions. So, uh, before we dive into those, any themes that you've noticed, uh, I know you wrote this in the, in your article, you did three, three. The three themes, Ooh. Um, pick and choose one or two or all of them. What do you notice out of uh, 
these extensions this year. Yeah, I talked a little bit about uh, the, the the one about the players getting um, paid as what when they're super tax teams, and now we're kind of squeezing on both ends uh, of that. So I, um, you know, that that one I can leave now because I already talked about that. I think there are two other uh, things that really came out were the five year non max extensions. Um, that is brand new in this CBA. Prior years, everything. Uh, if you were giving a player a five-year uh, extension, it had to be for the max. And now we're seeing this new five-year non-max be a thing. And we saw that right out of the gate. Uh, Desmond Bain got one. Now, I'm going to continue to refer to Desmond Bain as a max player because he's so close. He's like right below it. And he has bonus language that can actually get him there. So technically, though, not a max. And in future years, or past years, rather, he would not have been able to get a, a five-year contract. So that was one that happened right away in free agency. And then Devin Vassell and Jaden McDaniels, who we already talked about, uh, both of them a little bit, they both also got five years. So that's a you know completely new thing. And you know that's going to be something uh, we'll see is that did, did that set a precedent or not, right? Well, we'll only know that two, three years down the line. Um, but that that's you know definitely something new that those teams were on uh, maybe a little earlier than expected. The other theme is um, player options. We saw one player option uh, went to to Zeke Naji. Um, you know, it, for a long time with rookie extensions, the players were getting option years. <clears throat> then, excuse me, and then teams started, I think, to try to snatch back a little of that control over the process and said, "We're not doing this." Then it kind of went into a period a couple years ago where it was. All right, if you're already established as a superstar player because you've already made all-star teams and you're definitely going to be you know, uh, bumping the tier and all those things or at least right up against it, we'll give you the player options. So that was guys like Tatum, Mitchell, uh, Doncic, uh, Trey Young. Those guys all got player options, but that's it. Those four got them, and since then, nobody got one until Zeke Najee, which – kind of came out of nowhere it was like well, what is this yeah what why did he get a player option but that was clearly in exchange for for signing what was one of the more creative extensions where he uh you know took took a uh descending contract that comes down year over year he didn't sign for a whole lot of money <clears throat> there so i think that was a um major uh, thing there is we saw a little bit return to norm where the player options are going to be special cases. So either superstar player or all right, we'll give you the player option in exchange because you, you were creative with us to help us overall in the way we build this out. Total value, uh, $1.4 billion in total value. Uh, four players had incentives built in. Four players had trade bonuses built in. Three had the 30% language for all NBA uh, Supermax. And like you said, the player option and then two club options. So it's been a mixed bag of how teams really did structure these um, overall. It, it, it's fascinating to see where some players get incentives, some players didn't get, or you get the trade bonus. It, it's super interesting, but $1.4 billion, which is an average of $102 million per value. So uh, over all of the 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 rookies that got extensions, it, 
this is a fruitful league, Keith. These yeah. players are getting paid, and I'm I'm interested to see if this theme or trend is going to continue. Where as the scouting gets better, as the player development gets better, are we going to continue to see this 14, almost half of the rookies get extensions, or will we revert back to the seven or eight? And you know, there there were probably players that. Should have, could have had extensions. I know Maxi was one that you had is getting an extension, but he didn't get one, so we can get to that next. Uh, so there could have been a handful of other players that maybe could have gotten extensions, but maybe the, the financial landscape for the team just wasn't there yet, and they'll do a signing come the offseason uh, next, next summer. But I, I'm really interested to see if, we are going to start seeing more and more of these rookie extensions uh, moving forward as opposed to what we've had in the past. Yeah, I think we have a really good chance because I think there's going to be two two things. One, again, those teams that are super expensive are going to be almost in a spot where it's like, we can't really mess around here. If we can get the guy on a fair value, let's just get it. We We don't necessarily need to win they deal with this. And I think players are also starting to read the market a little bit because for a long, long time it was, Oh, it's going to be, you want to pay me less than the non-taxpayer mid-level. I'm out. I'm not even going to consider it unless it's like a guy who had an injury or some reason why like they weren't going to get that kind of money. Um, we saw a bunch of guys, you know, sign those, those either right around the mid-level or less than the mid-level uh, extensions this year. And that was, Again, I think players, their agents, and the teams collectively reading the market a little bit more of like, uh, there may not be the cap space to play. in restricted free agency. We've seen players get squeezed in restricted free agency in recent years, and that, that turns into a spot where all of a sudden you're kind of left uh, without a chair when the music stops. And now you're just like, uh, what do I do now? And and that's why I think you saw some of these guys like Aaron Neesmith, Cole Anthony, Peyton Pritchard, Zeke Naji, even Denny Oftia say, all right, I'll take your mid-level uh, you know, equivalent type extension because that puts me in a spot where I have that locked in now. Um, and for the guys below, you know, uh, Neesmith just below and the Najee and Pritchard well below, I think it was a chance of saying, I don't want to get so squeezed that all that's left for me is signing the qualifying offer. Let's lock into, you know, long-term money that's, you know, quite frankly, really good anyway. And then we'll, we'll kind of move forward from there. So I'm very, very curious to see uh, where it goes from here with that because that's definitely a new trend. I like seeing that it's not just top heavy at the top of the draft class. It's all the way from pick one, all the way to pick 30 and mixed in between. So that tells players that are coming into a draft, no matter where I'm getting drafted, there's still a chance for me to get that extension, you know, and if I do play to the ceiling that I think I can, or the team thinks they can, like you said, Desmond Bain, quote unquote, max player was the 30th pick in the draft you can still land a super solid extension on top of your rookie contract. So it's great to see uh, from that standpoint that it's intermixed everywhere within this rookie class. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's, it's, this is the, let's go back to, you know, one of the 
talking points coming out of this free agency was all these teams are going to be max contracts or minimum contracts and the middle class is dead. I think we're just getting to the middle class in a slightly different way, or I guess two slightly different ways. There's one is either you do it through extending a player into what it becomes a middle-class contract, or some of these teams did it through, Hey, we're not going to spend the non-taxpayer on one guy, but what we are going to do is we're going to break it up and spend it on three players or four players or, you know, two guys or whatever it is. They're getting to those kind of mid range contracts in different ways than, than what we've been used to. And that's just, well, we'll see, right? Because this is all very much test and adjust. You know, these teams are going to keep tweaking and changing and doing things in different ways as they figure all this stuff out. Yeah, teams are, I feel like they're realizing more in the last few years that we just need to operate in a two to three year window and not necessarily in a five to eight year window. So they're all right doing the extensions now. And if they need to move on in three years, then so be it. But they're all right with taking the risk now in hopes that, you know, there's an extreme upside for the, the, the immediacy. Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's, that, that's exactly it. Yeah. I think, think you're a lot of this is going to be stars are going to get taken care of. Cause that's always been the way. And that's not just an NBA thing. That's every sport, right? Stars are going to get, whether max contract exists or not, they're going to get paid the most. And then you're always going to have your minimum level guys who are coming in or they're the veterans who are kind of hanging on and extending a career or whatever. But the whole idea of the middle class is gone. It never really rang true to me. It is on some rosters for sure. But we even saw the Phoenix Suns, who might have been the most extreme example of top heavy that you know, salary and then the minimum. What did they do this summer? They broke DeAndre Ayton's contract up into a uh, multiple uh, mid mid range tradable contracts, more tradable than Ayton was on his you know max deal at the time. So that turns into a whole situation where even the Suns, who were the most top heavy of all, they rebalanced and went into that that mid range uh, area. The Celtics are super expensive. They have some of those mid range deals. The Bucks are still sitting on a handful of those mid range deals. So even the really expensive teams are not just playing, you know, the old uh, fantasy strategy of stars and scrubs, where you pay a whole lot in your auction and then fill out with one dollar players. That that's not really taking full place in the NBA, even if at points it looked like it might be headed in that direction. All right, let's uh, take a look at biggest surprise. Let's go with that first. Any out of these that was your biggest surprise that was signed? Um, hmm, That was signed, I think... The the Najee one just really jumped off the page to me just because I didn't think that would get done. The more I've thought about it, I would say, all right, it makes a lot more sense. So then I'm going to pick one just because we did partially in part because we haven't talked about him yet. Anyeka Kongwu, I think the Hawks got an incredibly team-friendly uh, extension with a Kongwu. You know, when you're talking, he's going to average 15 and a half million again barely above what the mid-level amount will be uh, over the course of, of his four-year $62 million extension. That is like, wow. Like, what 
great work by the Hawks for a guy who I think maybe by the end of this season, but probably next season is their starting center. And when you have the payroll concerns that they do as far as really pushing up against the tax and being an expensive team with not just expensive, but expensive over the next three, four seasons with the amount they have with some other guys who will need signed as well. That's an incredible value deal. So that one really jumps off the page to me is like, wow, like what, what, what a great value Atlanta got with Yeka Conklin. So biggest snub or surprise that didn't get a signing from when I wrote the prediction piece in June, the easy answer would be Tyrese Maxey because I had him pegged as a max guy, no pun intended on there. Um, but we know why that happened now because they are in a spot where the, the Sixers are, are trying to conserve cap space into next year. So we have that part of it. Then I would say, um, the next thing is with, um, with uh, the, the the next one would be Emmanuel quickly. Um, I, I really thought the Knicks would would get that done, and the fact that they didn't is really surprising to me. And that's one where I think the Knicks need to be careful because he's the kind of guy I think because you can. I think teams will say, yeah, we can start him if we need to, but at the very least, we have one of the better six-man scoring guards in the league coming off our bench. He's going to get offers if if the Knicks can't get something hammered out and done right away, and that that combined with a very crowded backcourt in New York, that just has me perked up a little bit for, huh, there could be trade possibility here that it, we weren't really considering uh, before. So that th- those ones were, were the – you know, the, the kind of surprises, one from a, all right, I kind of get now why Tyrese Maxis went the way it didn't, and then all the way up to the deadline. It was a manual quickly for sure. All right, anything else with transactions, uh, Keith, before we're going to finish off with luxury tax outlook, and then we'll get out of here. But anything else transaction-wise, extension-wise, we should know about? Yeah, not really. I mean, things are going to go pretty quiet now. We we saw one minor roster shuffle the the – Hornets need a need another point guard with some injuries. Frank Nilakina, who is slated to be one of their backup point guards, is going to be out for a while with a broken leg. So they moved on from Edmund Sumner and they're bringing in Ish Smith. But transactions are going to go pretty quiet here. I think the next ones we may see could again be back with the Hornets um, when teams have players out for a six game or more. Uh, suspension after five games they can move the player to the suspended list and then backfill that roster spot so i think there's a chance we see the hornets do that Uh, i think that will definitely happen in memphis especially considering with john morant out and now steven adams is out i think they're going to definitely want to get another player in there uh, just so that they have enough bodies uh, moving in because brandon clark is also out santi aldama is dealing with an injury so I think you're going to see the Grizzlies add, but things are going to get pretty quiet transactionally for about the next month and a half or so. But it's crazy as it sounds like the season tipped off last night. As we record this, the early trade window opens in a month and a half on December 15th in every year. I wrote about this last year. We'll run it back again uh, this, this year as I'll talk about some potential early trade candidates it, as we get much closer to that window opening up. We've seen kind of an early trade 
get made, whether it's, you know, in that mid-December, late December, early January timeframe ahead of the trade deadline in early February. So it'll go a little bit quiet now, but there's always still going to be work that, that teams are doing and moving guys around and, and shuffling. I think the advent of the third two-way will probably tamper down a little bit of the uh, roster shuffling because teams will just use that that third two-way slot uh, more. Um, but but that's also a new thing that that that's an assumption I'm making, and we're going to see how that plays out live here, you know, as the season goes along. Let's finish off with tax projections. Right now, there are ten teams that are above the tax line, leading with Golden State Warriors. So we've got the Warriors, the Clippers, the Suns, the Bucks, the Celtics, the Heat, the Nuggets, the Seventy Sixers, the Pelicans, and the Lakers. Cleveland comes in just below the line right now. Uh, obviously, this is a fluid situation. These do not get snapshotted until the last day of the regular season. But it's fun to take a look at going into the season, what teams look like right now before any more trades uh, or major signings happen. So as of right now, the Golden State Warriors are just under $42 million over the luxury tax line, which means that their tax bill would be $188 million because they are a tax repeater this year. Uh, that is up from 163 last year. Uh, so, Keith, a- a- any uh, surprises right now out of the gate for teams that are potentially in that tax threshold and above? The the Warriors number just always is because it's just it's just <laughs> yeah. monopoly money at this point. It's like doesn't even feel real. Uh, I think it's interesting that we have uh, what well, what is it if I counted right? I think it's five teams operating um, above the second apron or what we like to call the super tax line. So that that that's a little interesting. Um, the, there's the Denver is the currently the only team hard capped at that second apron. They've got about 4.7 million uh, under, but it's funny if I told you, Hey Scott, give me your top, you know, four or five teams that you think can win the title. I'm fairly certain it would include uh, some uh, combination of Boston, Denver, Milwaukee, Phoenix, and then maybe the Warriors, maybe the Lakers or somebody. Well, guess what? They're all tax teams, right? Like that's just, if you want to be a contender, you're probably, you're going to be up against the tax. New Orleans, they're going to get out of the tax. They're, they're 2.9 million over teams that are that close. Do not finish the year in the luxury tax, whether it's through one move or a series of moves, they will get out of the tax. I am certain of that. Um, I am very, very certain that they will get, get out of the luxury tax. I would even say, <clears throat> we'll see what they do as far as finish filling out their 14th or their 15th roster spot down the line. But the Lakers right now, they're only 1.3 million into the tax. I think there's a good chance we see them get out of the tax as well, especially if they're that close when the season ends. And let's see what Philadelphia does. And if, if the James Harden trade ever happens, uh, let's see what they do because they're 11 point four million into the tax right now. And I think there's a chance you could see them if they can lower that, let's say let's say a hardened trade gets that down to five or six million over, then it's just good business to try to get out of it entirely. So we'll see the one challenge with that though, we do not have teams sitting on mountains of cap space that can just eat contracts, you know, left and right, uh the way we have in past years. Part of that is the new that rules where you got to be at the salary floor on the start of the opening 
day. Otherwise, you're going to have a cap hole put. Everybody got there. Right now, the team sitting on the most cap space is Indiana, about $3.7 million, which can raise up to about seven point five if they you know did some renouncing and move moving around some stuff. So I think the Pacers, they they you could see a, a world where down the line, if they're still sitting on that, hey, we'll eat that the contract from New Orleans to help them out in exchange for a draft pick. But we don't have the Spurs thirty plus million under the the tax anymore or under the cap anymore. So it is going to be a little bit harder for these teams to find dumping grounds uh, for some of this salary. Yeah, that that is definitely going to uh, lessen the need for wanting to shoot too high on some of these contracts. I mean, we can see it with some of these extensions, you know, they're a little less, uh, you know, risky. The Golden State Warriors, they only have 13 players on the roster right now. So every, even a minimum is going to accentuate that luxury tax bill even more. With the 13, is there a, a hard and fast rule when they have to be at the 14, 15? I know the league has to be, what, an average of 14 and a half yep. roster spots. So is there a point when Golden State absolutely is going to have to add at least one more to get to 14? Yeah, so the rule has always been, um, or not always, but for years now, has been you can only dip under 14 players for two weeks at a time. Uh, the Phoenix Suns were masters of this for years where they would go for gross reasons of, you know, their former owner being extremely cheap. Uh, they would go sign a player uh, on a 10 day or sometimes on a non-guaranteed contract, play it out for you know a couple days, wave the player and then get their two weeks back. One of the things the NBA did, I think, with the advent of the third two-way to preserve and make sure, hey, we can't have too many of these teams loading up on two-ways and then not using their their standard roster spots, that two-week window still exists, but you also have only 28 total days in the course of the season that you can be under 14 players. So really, you could only do that, that Suns-ish approach for like a month worth of games then you have to get to 14 um you you can't be under 14 and then what they did on the 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 opposite side of that to say all right hey you can use your two-way guys what they did was and there was a lot of confusion around this because initially the reporting was you couldn't sign the third two-way unless you had 15 roster spots filled in the final version of the cba what they said was you can sign the third two-way and not have your you know 15th spot filled heck the, the warriors are doing it without uh they have three two-way players and they don't have their 13th and or their 14th and 15th spot filled but what happens is every game you're under 15 players on your roster there's a there's a tracker of under 15 games in every game you're under if you have the two-way players on your active list what happens is you get counted against those and you can only have 90 of those uh, too, which then really limits how often you can use your two-way players as well. So they're really trying to make sure, hey, we're going to give you flexibility to run with an open roster spot, but you can't just use your two-way guys and then cheat other guys out of that money. So the reality is you'll see the Warriors add somebody probably within a couple weeks, and then that person will probably stick around, or maybe they, they just they kind of do a continual shuffle until they find somebody who they like. And by the end of the year, every team, 
almost always ends up at 15 players. You might have one or two, uh, but especially the playoff teams will end up at a full roster just because if nothing else, they don't want to get caught shorthanded uh, in a potential playoff uh, situation. So uh, yeah, so we, we still got some roster moves to be made there as well, even if they're much more on the minor end versus the blockbusters uh, we've seen really continuously, I would say since the draft all the way through uh, the start of training camp with the way some of these trade situations dragged out. And who knows, maybe next week we're talking about a James Harden trade. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> maybe we'll see. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. Now that all the transactions, extensions, uh, rookie extensions, what's next on your docket? Uh, now that the, the bulk of the transactions are now uh, lessened. Yeah, what what we do now is we, it sounds weird because the 23-24 season just is tipping off, but we're going to look at uh, my first run of projection of 24-24 cap space. And, and those who follow or read my work know this is kind of a multi-times-a-year check-in on this, so we'll do it now because all the rookie-scale extensions are done because the vast majority of the roster moves are done. We're going to look at where everybody's positioned and what they, we call it a cap space projection, but really it's a full 30 team look of who's going to have cap space. Who's going to be, you know, up and over the tax. Who's going to be bumping against the second apron. Those are the kind of things um, where we're going to look at and get a sense of, all right, what does the landscape look like right now? We'll adjust that generally around the trade deadline. Um, when teams really start to make a whole lot more moves, um, we'll kind of go from there and then, then we'll go, um, you know, through, um, that and we'll keep tweaking and adjusting that, especially all the way up to the start of free agency. So that'll come next. Then we're going to get dive into some more of the next contract series. Um, we've got some other longer term projects that, that we're working on. And obviously right now our focus is, is everything tied up? you know, perfectly with a bow on the rosters, on the salary pages and all that. So that's not going to be a written work, but obviously you can see that effort, which is a lot of what you and I both do um, all over the site. Um, We'll we'll be making sure everything is as accurate as we can possibly have it um, because, you know, that's where, where we always endeavor to be. So I'm super excited that all that's starting. And then at some point I'll mix in watching a game or two here and there, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Enjoy all the games tonight. Uh, what almost every team except for the ones last night will be playing yeah, tonight. in philly and uh, milwaukee they, they they get one extra day they, they're not till tomorrow all right uh, for whatever reason <laughs> if you have any questions now that the league is in full swing uh at keith smith nba on x twitter wherever you're still calling it at this <laughs> at this point uh for keith smith i am scott allen thanks for listening to the nba next podcast 